The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name's Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by Chris Dow. Put your cardboard in the recycling bin. And Minty Booth. Apply liberally. And we are chatting about our all-time favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Firstly, thank you to everyone who entered our Steam Bundle giveaway competition. Uh, But don't let that be uh, a reason to stop sharing our articles on social media. Even though you won't win anything, it would still love to see you do it. Head over to o3c.games, have a read of the things we're saying, and remember to follow us on all your socials at o3cgames. We're recording this just before the closing date of... The competition so we'll be announcing the winner next week and uh, and you can claim your bounty and secondly we want to give a fresh glimpse of what we're doing over on patreon if you want to get more involved in what we're doing here at o3c games head over to patreon.com slash o3c games or go to o3c.games slash support and you can see how you can support what we're doing and we will reward you we will reward you <laughs> by welcoming you <laughs> into our inner circle Apparently I turned into a toad. (laughs) The home of this inner circle is our Discord server, which you will get access to. And there's loads of fun stuff going on over there, including a whole bunch of interactive stuff to help you level up and gain more perks through engaging with us and chatting with other Patreons. And we'll soon be starting to host Patreon-exclusive events from gaming sessions and live editing streaming, uh, sneak peeks of future episodes, special exclusive recording sessions and bonus episodes, loads of great stuff. That is uh, is a huge treat for us and hopefully uh, for you if you are involved with us, which uh, we would love. So do please check that out. Coming soon from HyperX. The Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. Hear audio cues with pinpoint precision thanks to the dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X Spatial Audio. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, zero wires. The Cloud Alpha Wireless. Available soon at HyperX.com, HP.com, Amazon, Best Buy, Micro Center, and more fine retailers. So here we are. We are into the second half of this season. We are going to be amending our lists our top 100 favourite games of all time lists a further time today with uh, an inclusion of another game each. And uh, that's exciting. But before we dive into those, as of this afternoon, we had a Pokemon Presents. And Pokemon Presents, basically, it was just a, it was a 14 minute video celebrating Pokemon Day, which I think is just the anniversary of the first games coming out like 26 years ago or something stupid. And they gave some updates on current games, a whole bunch of mobile stuff that I'm not playing, so I don't care. They announced a free update to Pokemon Legends Arceus, uh, giving some new missions and quests and stuff like that, which looks quite cool. Quite excited to look at that. But big news of this Pokemon Presents was unveiling Generation 9 of Pokemon, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. And uh, they they showed a, a little glimpse of, of what's in store. It, it basically looks exactly like Pokemon Legends Arceus, but not so in the past. And they 
barely showed anything. Most of the Pokemon that they showed were just Pokemon that you get in Pokemon Legends. But it's it's nice to see that they are continuing down down this road, after, especially after, you know, we spoke about it in the last few weeks saying how, how much of a positive direction it is for the Pokemon series to be going in. And, and they did also show us uh, the three starter Pokemon. Again, another grass, fire, water combo, which is a shame because I really wanted them to there's a few other triads that that work in terms of strengths and weaknesses uh, against each other uh, so it's a shame they haven't they haven't branched out again but they look quite cute but minty i haven't spoken to you about this yet and i would love to get your thoughts on what you saw cool yeah well uh, i think uh, well f- from a 3 minute video there's only so much you can take from it, but uh, just looking at some of the uh, some of the settings, some of the buildings, um, I would I, I would put a pretty penny on it being set in a region that takes its in- inspiration from Spain. Yes, I've 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 heard this as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've seen some people before this, like a few weeks ago, before this video uh, came about, saying that uh, perhaps it might be set in Italy hmm. after Arceus came out. Uh, people were thinking, oh, maybe this one is going to be set in somewhere based on India after the sort of, I guess, the link between. There's 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 one Pokemon in Arceus Legends where Professor Laventon says something about the Copperaja of his homeland, and if we think of uh, if we think of uh, like the Indian elephant, um, the Maharaja, mm. all this sort of thing, then you could then you could surmise that Laventon's homeland is the India region or whatever it will be called but um yeah looking at some of the um looking at some of the buildings um there there is somewhere that looks quite quite similar to uh the sagrada familia just with a massive pokeball in it and then you've got the names of the uh of the starters sprigatito frigatito what's this one fuikoko and uh quaxley <laughs> The public school duck. <laughs> the, the prevailing opinion from from all the discourse that I've seen uh, online is that every single one of them uh, is utterly perfect. And <laughs> personally, I would die for any of them. <laughs> We've got the capricious, attention-seeking grass cat, the laid-back fire croc that does things at its own pace, or the earnest and tidy duckling Pokemon. Like, uh, who the fuck? How 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 are you meant to choose? <laughs> Better have Wonder Trade on from day one because I'm going to want all three of these. Yeah, 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 and that is all that I am going to say about it until it gets released because I am going to do my darndest to go completely spoiler free from now until the release. I mean, I know we said that we were going to try and do that with Pokemon Sword and Shield, <laughs> I believe, but then I think we sort of became a little bit gluttonous for disappointment because every glimpse we caught just made us go despair at the direction they were going in yes so i ended up consuming as much as i could to try and flip that opinion and remarkably that opinion did not flip until i played it and i loved it (laughs) but yes i will i'll also be doing the same trying to stay as spoiler free as possible and it's not for that long, because apparently it's coming out later this year, which does concern me a little bit in terms of it's... Uh, I, I don't want it to be rushed. I really, really don't. Do you think they developed it concurrently with Arceus? Because it looks like the same oh, engine. 100%. I think Arceus was the proof of concept, wasn't it? From, yeah, from, and they from just what, kind of made it into trade thing. like. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that it's got a sense of identity outside of Pokemon Legends, because I'd like to see 
that historical route continue, not just be a one-off. But then also, I don't want it to be any different to Pokemon Legends Arceus <laughs> mm. in all the ways that it's changed the series for the better. So yeah, we shall see. We shall see. 26 years of games. You can start cherry-picking all the good bits. You're allowed to, Game Freak. <laughs> Minty, what have you played this week? Not a huge amount, actually. Um, I've been carrying on with Pokemon Legends, just uh, just shiny hunting now. Um, have you finished the main story? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. As in, like, you've completed the Pokedex and done the final thing? Oh, God, no, no. Oh, right, <laughs> um, okay. I'm so I'm so desperate to talk to you about the the actual ending of the game. It's so it's so interesting. Oh, okay. I mean, I I assume you just meet Arceus at the end, and that is what you assume. Oh, well, okay. Oh, well. There's so much to discuss. The twist is that Arceus meets you. It's actually Professor Oak and Professor Elm in like a uh, pantomime yeah. costume. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love that. If that was how the game actually ended, I'd buy it tomorrow. <laughs> uh, of course you would. Give me something to work towards. <laughs> you get up there with your completed Pokedex, you lay it on the ground, it just pops its head off and goes, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, well, in that case, I will, um, I've, got, I, I've, got three of, I've got three regions completed. I think I I think I stopped doing Pokedex stuff because I got bored with finding satchels to get evolution items. I only used one or two evolution items. Like most of the evolutions are catchable. Oh, I know, but I'd rather just do it in the town, you know. Then you can't complain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in order to do it in the town, you have to do a lot more effort to. Well, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. It's your time. But yeah, now that now that we've got the uh, what's the, the daybreak, mm. I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, I'm, I'm going to dive back in and do that. Um, I want to I I do an alpha. What are they called? Outbreaks mm. and alpha outbreak. outbreak. Because people say that you can get a shiny alpha Pokemon, and I don't believe them. You can. Oh, I just you can. I, I don't have any more shinies from when we last spoke about it. I have a Bidoof mm. and a Krogunk, <laughs> and that's it. That's okay. Yeah, I spent about five hours in the um, in the snowy place trying to find a, a shiny routes, but there we go. Maybe one day. Maybe. Maybe. Mm. Chris, what have you played this week? Like Minty, I've, I've not played that much, but I will tell you a little story about why it's important never to assume. Ooh. Because back when the GTA trilogy launched on consoles and the games were in a bit of a state, yeah. uh, you'll, I'm sure you'll remember me saying very, very proudly on the podcast... I've even cancelled my order for the physical Switch edition. And I was all uh, all grand and, and kind of happy that I'd done so. And uh, then it just turned up at my door last week. Oh. <laughs> and I, I had to do some digging <laughs> and I found out that originally I'd, I'd pre-ordered the game via eBay because I had a discount code and it took it down to like 38 quid. And I think that was about the best deal you could get at the time. And when I made the decision to cancel it, I emailed the seller, asked for a refund, and then I just kind of assumed that that had been done. Mm. And then when the game got delayed, because it got pushed back until February, I just never bothered checking any more correspondence. I just assumed that was sorted and I didn't have to worry about it. And then when it turned up in my letterbox, I kind of felt a bit confused, went back and checked on my emails and, and read through the chain. And the seller had very nicely said, um, you know, because you used a voucher to bring it down to this price, we can give you a credit note because you paid part of your order that way, but we can't give you a full refund. So just let us know and, and we'll process that. And then because I never let them know either way, <laughs> they just kept the order. So uh, it, it arrived. <laughs> now, I didn't have any intention of playing through this, but I have now decided, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Like it's been patched a few times. I'll, I'll at least see what it's like in its current state. And I've probably played 
maybe three or four hours of GTA 3 this week. It's not perfect, but it is now... Well, it's been patched to a state where it is playable, uh, for me at mm. least. And, you know, the, the Vita Homebrew port that I was playing last year was is probably a bit smoother, yeah. but it does lack some of the more modern kind of lighting effects and things that they added into this version, you know, that have been retrofitted over it. But the collection is still kind of being actively worked on. And literally yesterday or, or Friday, there was a patch bringing the performance up again and the visuals quite a bit. So it is improving steadily. And I'd say if you're going to play it like in handheld, like a lot of people use their Switches, it's actually very smooth and, and quite a nice time. If you play it on, on the big screen, like plugged into the dock, it's still pretty smeary. And I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I reckon this is uh, comparable to the PS4 and PS5 versions because it's <laughs> it's patently not. Yeah. But if you are someone who, like me, was really put off by early footage and performance reviews for the Switch especially, I'd say it's now a serviceable package, especially if it kind of comes down to about 30 quid maybe because then it's like a tenner a game. Outside of that, I, I really haven't played much else this week. Clone Hero did just get a big new community song pack uh, on Friday as well. And, and that pack was called Max Altitude for, for whatever reason. And it's kind of just 130 newly charted tracks that span all different subgenres of alternative rock. And it's pretty cool to play through some stuff I know and some stuff I don't. But it is really hard because the, the pros that are part of the, the custom chart community have just continually got better and better and better at the game over the years. So even the songs that they're putting in, like the warm-up tiers, for example, are probably about as challenging as like the final tier songs in proper guitar hero oh, wow. games. <laughs> so so it means that, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay for the early stuff, but my skills are already kind of being tested, like 10 songs in. But it's, it's something to aim for. It is kind of a, a good time. I still really enjoy the game. Uh, and it's, like I've said before, the reason it's it's such a good time is because the content is infinite. You know, I can, I could, I could continue to get better at what I have, or if I get bored, I can find thirty thousand more tracks in the, in the click of a mouse. So th- there's always going to be stuff to do, and and that's that's good, and that's it, <laughs> and that's finished, and that's me. That's you. You see, <laughs> I'm not going to give any prizes for guessing what my gaming activity has consisted of this week. Dragon Quest. <laughs> Digimon? Just as well I'm not giving out prizes, because you would not get any. No, we are recording this uh, two days after the release of Elden Ring. Oh boy. And uh, I did a a little unboxing video over on our YouTube channel of the big old uh, collector's edition, which is very, very nice indeed. But obviously that's secondary to the game itself. And... I must say it was a rather fortuitous weekend for it to come out for it was a weekend where my wife and daughter were away, which meant, I guess, what's the game's been out for, what, 48 hours? And I've put 20 hours of that into, <laughs> uh, into Elden Ring. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I must, it's, it's, it's exactly what I wanted. And I've also had so many incredible surprises and that's come from avoiding as much media as I could before release. It is Dark Souls meets Breath of the Wild. It's it's huge and stunning and brutal and unforgiving. Like the core mechanics are as satisfying as it's ever been in a Souls game, with you know combat being the same weighty, strategic, finely balanced affair, and new abilities such as like jumping, <laughs> and uh, which is something it has in common with Breath of the Wild, uh, and riding a steed. Uh, again, something it has in common with Breath of the Wild and crafting. Something it has in common with literally every modern game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and all of these new mechanics are very, very welcome and they bring another element to the experience. I, I haven't quite made the most out of riding and fighting on horseback because 
my nature is still to not go anywhere at great speed. I mean, certainly not into an unknown location or scenario or into any sort of fight. It's totally counterintuitive to how I've played every other FromSoft game where you need to carefully consider your every move and, and, you know, weigh up the battle as much as you can before taking a step closer. But I'm sure I'll get my confidence up and be trampling my way at great speeds across this world. But one of the things that has come out of my conversations with other people playing the game is just how incredibly versatile the game is to play like i've got my own play style which has evolved to be honest even in the time i've been playing the game i started with a samurai build which uh, allowed me to focus on stealth and speed for the early game and that was great for me because it was very reminiscent of how i played sekiro which i absolutely loved but now I've got my abilities up, I've gone for a slightly stronger, slower build, and I'm dabbling in sorcery to bolster my arsenal. <laughs> but I had messages from a mate of mine who at first was saying the game was was too hard for him. He was like, I don't think I'm going to continue with this. But then I got a message from him saying he'd finally mastered how to parry and counter attacks, which has then opened the game up for him a lot. But I don't do any of that. And it's not because I, I'm better at the game at all. It's just down to my playstyle. I dodge and roll and time my attacks to, you know, slip in the openings in enemy attacks. It means I hit hard, but also get hit hard uh, if I mess up. And I was playing with uh, a mate online last night uh, who's he was learning about poise and blocking incoming attacks with guard stances. Again, an area of the game I'm not even trying to get familiar with. You know, perhaps I will have to at some point in my sledgehammer approach needs a bit of refinement <laughs> but for now i'm having just the absolute best time i'm i'm a fair few bosses down i've done a lot i mean i've just done so much exploring and just enjoying getting lost in the world finding mini dungeons side quests and just interesting things happening in the little corners of the world like it, it's got it's got that similar thing to breath of the wild where your objective is what you set yourself yeah. and think oh i want to go and explore that bit and you might get distracted by something else you know roughly where the game's pointing you and what you need to do in an overall sense but you know that's that's definitely secondary to uh yeah to just just exploring just getting lost and that's an element as well that's a bit counterintuitive of other souls games in that you don't necessarily want to explore with that sort of abandon like usually the only thing you will find certainly will kill you <laughs> uh, so you don't want to go and see what's around every corner and what's what's behind that little interesting rock formation or at the end of that mossy outcrop or you know what might be hiding behind that giant crab but i'm being brave and i'm pushing my boundaries slowly and surely and the game rewards you so so much for doing that and there's no I saw somebody, a quote somebody said online that there's no reward that doesn't feel worth the effort. And I think that that really sums up the experience of Dark Souls and, and the other Souls games, because the reward is simply the feeling of satisfaction of doing it, not necessarily what you get for doing it. But I must say, I mean, it's a bit, it's a bit of an eye opener playing a game of this scope, having just played Pokemon Legends Arceus. One of the things I criticised about Arceus was the lack of a specificity in the design of the world and Elden Ring has just really really nailed that. Graphically it's uh it's pr it's probably a little bit better than Pokemon Legends Arceus <laughs> uh, but it, it isn't entirely without an element of like you know popping and and stuff like that but it 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 makes you really appreciate the steps that From Software have taken to build something on the back of Breath of the Wild and you know obviously their own oeuvre 
the level of atmosphere in the game is just astonishing. It's 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 terrifying. And you feel dwarfed by everything around you, from the environment to the enemies to the weather. It's just extraordinary. And it means that Nintendo really, really need to raise their game with Breath of the Wild 2 if they're going to hold a candle to Elden Ring. Because Elden Ring isn't just another franchise doing a Breath of the Wild like a lot of other companies, you know, including Nintendo. It's it's very much an evolution of what Nintendo established with that game. And using Breath of the Wild as the foundation of how to build something new. And Nintendo need to do that as well if they're going to attain the same heights as it achieved with the first Breath of the Wild. I'd love to see them go down the Souls-like route. I mean, Breath of the Wild is actually quite Souls-likey anyway. It's tough. It, yeah, it really, really is. And, you know, it, it could be a brilliant way of having a new structure to the game. Nintendo will undoubtedly subvert anything that we think or or, or, or that we want or that we think we want. And, you know, I can't wait for that. But in the meantime, I, I'm beyond thrilled to have Elden Ring in my life. And I just, I can't wait to play even more of it. And there's a huge, huge bonus friend of the show, Kezia Burrows, who we chatted with for our Alien special as she played Amanda Ripley in Alien Isolation. In that episode, we asked her if there were any upcoming games she could tell us about that she'd been involved in. And she said, there are, but I can't tell you, but you'll be (laughs) excited about it. Well, guess what? She's an Elden Ring. It's only Elden Ring. (laughs) That's amazing. It's so cool. And it was a real treat to find uh, that character. I went and, you know, sort of sort sort her out specifically and hear her lovely dulcet Welsh tones echoing in a cave. I mean, the the writing and voice acting in this game is is just astounding across the board. And yeah, Kez's performance is is certainly up there with the best in there. So you, you know what? Well done, everyone. Well done, everyone. You have created a masterpiece and it thoroughly deserves all the accolades that it's getting and will continue to get. And anyone not playing it, is a dick. <laughs> Out of all the Souls games, or Souls-like games, whatever you're going to call them, in that series anyway, it's the one I'd be most interested to try because it's more open. But I know that I am really bad at games and it's it's still really daunting. As much as some people have said, oh, it's a bit more welcoming and you have a bit more choice as to kind of which direction you're going to go at the start. And like you've said about different play styles and everything else, I still think I'd be really shit at it. And, and I don't know if I'd, I'd have enough time to sit down and say, right, I'm, I'm really committing to this to kind of get over that first hump. I, I love hearing about people, you know, accomplish that. I, I've read a lo- an awful lot of kind of uh, threads of tweets online where people are like, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. And then all of a sudden <laughs> be like, I think it's my favourite game ever. Yeah. And it's like, if, if I could do that, if I, if I could, you know, fight through that first like five, ten hours of something to just it, it click and make sense, I think I could really love a lot of this series but i'm just not a very good action gamer and and you you have to kind of be quite methodical i think and you you have to be considered and i remember when you were playing dark souls on the switch jonathan when you when you first got that port for the first time yeah part of you was in that same boat you were like ah i don't i don't know if this is for me and then all of a sudden you were like yeah i think it's my favorite series i've ever played and it's like exactly (laughs) if i if i could do that i think there's there's such a bounty there but I, I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to approach it. I mean, the best thing about that is the the co op element in the game. Yeah. I mean, I I, I persisted in Dark Souls, uh, not not through through co op and, and and bringing people in, but it, it may as well have been because my friend Steve uh, basically 
talked me through and encouraged me through and sort of gave me guidance even though he wasn't doing that literally in the game he was fulfilling that same role for me that really helped me get my head around it and uh and even in um demon souls when i got that uh he jumped in for some co-op play with me early on to just just to help me get into it you know and uh i've agreed to, to do that for some people with elden ring which is really, really nice that I can do that. And uh, and it's really nice that I, I felt sort of comfortable to dive straight in on my own. I didn't even realise there was a tutorial. I totally skipped it. <laughs> so, yeah. If, and Chris, you know, obviously, if you ever want to give one of them a go, I'll be right there yeah. helping you and uh, and help doing the absolute best I can to, to help you sort of get acquainted and feel feel a bit more comfortable and, uh, and in control of, uh, of the game. At some point, this would likely be impossible. But we we should have a little uh, R3 cents holiday for a week, and we should we should dedicate time to all the things we've mentioned in the past yeah. of wanting to support each other with. <laughs> yeah. So we, we we can have a day where we do the hundred percent Panzer Dragoon Saga run. Yes. You know, we've yeah. talked about that before. We can have a day where we catch up all of the five hundred Jackbox games that we've collectively not played, and we can have a day where I just hit my head against a, a Souls game. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be yeah. great. Let's let's hire a cottage and just have a great time. Let's do that, and then me, me and Minty will lock you in a. Dark dark room and make you play resident evil 4 oh no thank you oh no part in that <laughs> fair enough so should we move on to our amendments yeah <laughs> minty let's kick off with you please tell us how you are amending your top 100 favorite video games of all time list further this week a little bit of history to begin with back in the day i used to play a flash game called cosmos quest It was an idle game. You click the screen to generate energy, which lets you buy things that help you accrue energy automatically. You buy more stuff, you generate more energy, you buy even more stuff, you buy upgrades, you reset for great big buffs, repeat the process and just shoot for the moon. So like every other idle game in existence, it was fun. Like You start out as a caveman by clicking to get energy. Uh, That symbolizes you uh, discovering fire, inventing the wheel, um, aqueducts, agriculture and such. And then once you've got enough energy and have discovered and uh, invented enough things, you then evolve into modern man. And then clicking symbolizes you developing technology like, I don't don't know, uh, furnaces or cars, that sort of thing. And then you can, after that, you can transcend into sort of multidimensional beings using such things as um, as torus rings and Dyson spheres to make your numbers go up. Uh, people who are familiar with this game know that even though this is what one might consider the uh, the main game, it is absolutely not the main game at all. The main game was uh, the completely different PvP which was the real draw. Uh, the amount of energy you generated in the quote-unquote main game gave you resources to build a team of little creatures that you'd put in a line and pit against other people's teams of creatures that they'd put in a line, like like a Pokemon with a couple of conveyor belts. They'd have two stats, attack and health, and the creature at the front of each line is just slammed into the other one until one of them is defeated. There are some that have abilities that can give you an edge in battle, some might have splash damage, some might have armour, perhaps one might spawn another creature on defeat. I was never great at it because I didn't spend any real money on it. I played like a miser, and my team of little kadamas and wood imps got utterly wrecked by people who took it really fucking seriously <laughs> and sunk absolute 
bucks into it, coming at me with a robot powered by a sun or the god <laughs> of the north. Like if the playing field was level, I would probably still be playing it today. I might even have bought a laptop to run it after Flash got sent to a nice farm upstate. <laughs> <laughs> the pace of the game, by virtue of being an idle come gacha game, also left a lot to be desired. It was, it was, it was. It's one of those ones that it's nice to check into once a day to see if your team has beaten anybody in the night. But it was really fun trying out new creatures, leveling up your favorites, or even seeing if something as simple as placing your kelpie in front of your nymph would help you kick more ass. If only there was a game that took that winning PvP gameplay, spruced it up by speeding up the gameplay to be match-based instead of idle-based, looked nicer and leaned into the abilities of each creature to make it a more involved gameplay experience. If only there was a game that wasn't just a remake of that Flash game on iOS, which absolutely does not work. (laughs) I've downloaded it, I've tried to play it, and it is completely and utterly broken. It's unplayable. If only there was an alternative. Well, a little Danish company called Team Wood Games has your back. Last year, they released a superb, chill, strategic battle game called Super Auto Pets. Oh, and it's fantastic. I've never heard of it. (laughs) Lay it on us. (laughs) Right, you start off in a shop, a pet shop, if you will. There's a few pets and a little and some food, and you've got ten coins. So you buy some pets, you see what their stats are, you see what they what their ability is, you put them in order, maybe give them a little, little snack if you've got any money left over to give them a bit of a boost, and then uh, send them off to go after somebody else's team. Instantly, just like that. Did they win? Well, great. Perhaps in the next round you can give somebody else some more food to make them stronger and carry on with that strategy. Or get another pet to slot in somewhere that works with the strategy that you're building to make it uh, even better. If you lost, perhaps you might want to see if you can get a different pet just to shake things up in your team and go in another direction strategy-wise. If you don't like what the pet shop is offering, then you can just re-roll for something better. Every pet is so different. For example, uh, the fish. If you level up the fish, it gives every other pet plus one health and plus one attack. There's the puppy, who gets stronger if you have money left in your purse between each round. There's the ant as well that gives somebody a boost uh, if it gets defeated. The octopus gets a whopping plus eight to both stats when you level it up. There's also uh, the scorpion, who's a a, a late game um, pet, who attacks with peanuts and one hit KOs anything it touches. There's loads of different foods as well. An apple gives you a little stat boost. A pear gives you a bigger one. The garlic gives you armor. You can slather a pet in honey to spawn a little bee to fight for you if you get knocked out. The object of the game is to take all of these combinations, see which pets work well together, which items you can slap onto them to make their their individual abilities and strengths work even better and even better, and it just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And the object the object of the game is to get to ten wins before you lose ten lives. There must be hundreds of thousands of combinations of animals and foods, and everyone must be viable because you get an achievement every time you get a pet to the max level, and I'm pretty sure if one is part of your winning team and you get 10 wins, then you get an achievement as well. I might need to check that second one because I haven't actually got 10 wins yet. My best is about seven. It can be frustrating at times when you think you're on a roll and you get absolutely bodied, but it's so snappy and it's such a fast-paced game that you just dust yourself off and get straight back into it. I lose fucking hours on this game, (laughs) and I lose loads of matches as well, but it's fun. 
It's so fun. And it's just been released on uh, on Android and iOS now. So if you're not a Steam or a browser-based player, then you can, there's no excuse for you to jump in and get going. Oh, and there's hats. There is hats as well. Yes, yes. So that's one for you, Chris. Do you like a hat? Yeah, there's, there's hats and backgrounds that you buy with points that you get for winning matches. But also, the base game is free. And there's one, there's a first expansion set of pets that costs a couple of quid. And you can toggle whether you want to fight with and against just the pets available to you, or whether you feel like your cricket and pig can take on some money bags as T-Rex. <laughs> you don't pay for individual animals. And the fact that you can choose not to play what is essentially been called uh, pay to win is a really really neat feature it's really lovely to play the art is great each animal makes uh, a, a, a charming relevant noise when you buy it it's just yeah, real real joy to play i'm putting it in my list at number 55 and getting rid of a game from somewhere else in the list to make them. <laughs> and that game is going to be phantom hourglass oh fair enough mate uh, got... yeah it's um i mean yeah, yeah. I mean, as somebody who's slogging through spirit tracks at the moment, I mean, I'm having a, I'm having a, a, a pretty decent time, but it's only because I'm, you know, doing it with some other people as well. But they have just finished doing Phantom Hourglass. That was their previous season to doing spirit tracks on Chat of the Wild. And uh, yes, yeah, I mean, it, apparently, like I, I enjoyed Phantom Hourglass when I played it, but apparently, yeah, like spirit tracks is significantly better. Oh, yes, yes significantly better and uh, fairly similar too i don't need both of them in there now yeah. and now that i've played more than 100 games <laughs> I, can, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can start to get rid of some of the duplicates so yep happy with my choice there number 55 super auto pets and we'll say goodbye to phantom hourglass bing bong there we go there we go. Uh, well, yeah, Super Auto Pets is downloaded. Obviously, that's how I found out you can have hats. Mm-hmm. I, I always enjoy the uh, the real time download updates that you give us because <laughs> it, it doesn't seem to matter what game the two of us talk about. If it's a mobile yeah. game, it's always instantaneous. Uh, course, and yeah. and if it's a Switch game that's like less than a tenner, yeah. you normally hear like the download finish Bing Bong in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Over to you. Can you please tell us what your amendment is this week? I absolutely can. I am prepared. I'm ready. I'm, I'm greased up. I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a game I've mentioned quite a few times in passing since we've been doing this show. And it is Submerged. Oh, which that one, yeah. Which is a game that I like a lot. It's also a game that, you know, despite me banging the drum for it several times over these last couple of years, I think very, very few people have given the time to. Yeah, it's not it's not a popular game at all. And I'm sure if you if you mention the name Submerged casually, there's going to be huge swathes of people that go what and, and just will not know what it is. But at the top here, I'd like to say if you see it for sale on the eShop or the PlayStation Network or Steam or the Xbox Store, please consider giving it a go. Like it's it's one of the games that is frequently reduced to a pound or two. And and for that price, there's absolutely no reason not to at least give it a try. Because if you hate it, it's the cost of a big bag of crisps. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it, it will fill you up longer than that will. Now, I, I've beaten Submerged four times now, I think. I, I played it first on the PS4 when it first released. Then I played it on the Switch en route to your wedding, Jonathan, a few years back. Then I played it on my laptop when I first got that via via Steam. And then recently, in preparation for this season, I played it via backwards compatibility on the PlayStation 5. So the PS4 version, but, you know, on a different console. The experience for me has been equally as enjoyable, whether I've played it on a big TV or on the handheld or with a mouse and keyboard. I, I just really, really enjoy it. 
Submerged is an exploration game. If you've never had a look at a screenshot, if you've never seen it in motion. And, and I think exploration is probably the fairest way to categorize it. You play as a young girl called Miku, who has arrived via a little small boat with her brother Taku to a post-apocalyptic city that has been largely, as the name implies, submerged. And Taku has been injured and is ill, and you're essentially tasked with, with making him better. And the whole loop of the game in order to do that is for you to hop into your little boat, whiz about the watery city, and then disembark to scale up large buildings looking for supplies or collectibles. But the real draw of the game and what made me pick it up in the first place, and and I think the reason that I've played it so many times since, is that there's no combat, there's no deaths, there's no failure state, there's no ability to fall off buildings when you're climbing, you can't drown, the creatures of this sunken city might show you interest, but they're never a threat. And I really like games like this. <laughs> you know, just just talking about the the effort it would take for me to get into something like Elden Ring. This is like the antithesis, mm. really. You know, it's it's just saying just just go off and do your own thing. <laughs> no one's holding you back. You're going to be fine. And I think some would argue that a game like this, lacking any sort of penalty, would dilute the experience. As without having some sort of consequence, there's then no pressure to kind of to do or or not to do. But you know, the way it's structured, Taku is going to be fine whether it takes you 10 minutes or 10 hours to find bandages. And there's no survival mechanics to push along the adventure or the story. It's just a case of finding things at your own pace, really, and then moving things forward whenever you fancy. But this lack of force momentum, I think, is why I found it so easy to replay again and again. Because despite the story presenting the protagonist with a problem, as a player, it's all just set dressing, really, for you to romp around this decayed nature-reclaimed city. And, you know, looking at the things I've already had on my list recently, as, as well as kind of the, the original 100, I really like games where you just wander about. <laughs> you know? Hence why something like Yonder has already entered my top 100 this season. Even if they're quite different games, like visually and thematically, uh, if anything, Submerged, I think, is even further stripped back in terms of actual action than Yonder. But the clarity with which it presents itself is just really refreshing. And I think it's a good example and a real justification for why the games industry is served so well these days by having multiple pillars of development within it. Because Submerged would never be a AAA game because it's it's too empty and it's too plaintive. And yet it's an experience that I personally would choose over any Assassin's Creed, for example, <laughs> even if ostensibly Ubisoft series is also about scaling buildings and, and digging around for collectibles and whatever else. The star of Submerged is the city itself. I talked about this game on a Patreon exclusive episode we did quite a while back now on architecture. Oh yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, and and I still think the dilapidated and drowned buildings of this world do a tremendous amount of heavy lifting in terms of the game's environmental storytelling. One of the collectibles in the game are pictographic panels that add together to kind of tell the whole story of the city's demise. But even ignoring these runic pieces of lore, the story of human expansion and achievement and, and ultimately humans' failure to act as stewards for the environment is, is really clear just because of the way the place is set up and that you explore it. The structures that remain in this place for, for Miku to climb up and around are all either hyper-capitalist totems like hotel high-rises and advertising boards or markers of, of human compassion and expansion like hospitals or, or grand-scale bridges that once would have connected land masses. And I think it does a really good job of kind of trying to say that as a species, we are forever that close to getting it right, you know, to acting with a proper borderless love and friendship towards our fellow man. But everything is always corrupted by by money or by power or by influence in some way. And, and I think that whole message is there throughout the whole experience, whether or not you're kind of picking up the collectibles to to have that story presented more formally or not. 
alongside the story of the city, Submerged also gradually unfurls the story of how our protagonists have ended up in this situation. And as a microcosm of the wider environmental message, it's a sad tale of the, the stewards or caregivers of these young people essentially just failing them. And, and I won't spoil it, but it acts as another reason to push on through this short four or five hour game. It's a good story, well told in, in kind of a, a unique way, I feel. It's, it's quite different to most things you'll play. Now, I think last time I talked about Submerged on that Patreon episode, I called it a puzzle game. And I, I tried to justify that by saying, because your job is generally to identify the route to a building through partially obstructed waterways, and then to identify the route up a building as you clamber around and, and shimmy along ledges. But each successive time I've played the game through, I've treated it more and more as a purely narrative thing that just happens to use these mini environmental mazes as a way to drip feed its story. And because there's no death, because you know simple trial and error will see basically any player get through this thing to 100%, it feels less like a puzzle that you're solving and instead is kind of a story that you're choosing how you're going to engage with. And, you know, if if you are an achievement hunter, say, or, or you're looking for trophies, you can blast through it with a guide almost as if it were like a straight up Banjo-Kazooie collectathon if you want. <laughs> but, but it's far more rewarding to just sail and climb and find things through natural play because then you're just admiring the scenery and thinking, oh, that's a, that's a structure I've not been up or, oh, it looks like I could probably dock my boat there and see what happens over there. Or, oh, I think that's a a new animal I've not seen before. And that sort of organic discovery is just a really nice way to kind of explore this this world that's presented in front of you. Just enjoy it. Just have a nice (laughs) time. And, and, you know, the the clean lines of the often like brutalist structures that have been reclaimed and humbled by ivy and vines or seaweed as Taku and Miku's story unfolds alongside the story of this once great place. It's just, it's really good. It's a really, really good game. Now to my list... It's a sad exit this week, but I'm going to cheat a little bit because Outrun currently sits at number 54 on the list and it is an excellent arcade superscale eraser, but it is unlockable in the original Xbox port of Outrun 2, a game that I've currently got sitting at number 27. That is cheating. So so it's leaving, but it's still represented and I'm happy that, you know, the episode we recorded that it featured on will always remain so that those who want to know exactly why that specific game does so much with the idea of driving and, and journeying above and beyond its direct sequel can go back and check it out. That's that's always going to be there. <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> now, Submerged isn't going to take its place directly. I think it deserves a spot somewhere in the mid 60s, I think. So a little bit lower than Outrun had originally ranked. And I think Submerged has connections to Eco, as I mentioned, like Ocarina of Time, having connections to that as well last week. And that's now a few spots below it. But Submerged places higher for me as I think it's an example of indie games looking at the wider landscape, but presenting something that's hyper-focused in a way big studios are never going to be able to. And and that's what makes it such an exciting thing for me. The way it feels, it's like hyper-focused to my interests, I think, is what kind of elevates it a little bit higher, makes it that special game I think everyone should at least give a go to and play. Excitingly, it has a sequel, which to this day has been a Google Stadia exclusive for, for some reason, I assume money. <laughs> um, but that launches on, on consoles and PC in just a couple of weeks. Oh. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to try that out and see if the concept has been expanded or evolved meaningfully. So watch this space because I, I will definitely buy that at release. I'll definitely give that a go and, and have some thoughts uh, in, in the Junus, of course, as we often say. <laughs> There's always a worry, I think, with something like this because it is a very paired back experience that if they suddenly say, oh, now there's a crafting mechanic or, or you know, something else is dumped into it, mm. I might come away feeling really kind of nonplussed. But, 
you know, I haven't looked up anything about it because I knew I was never going to play it on Stadia. Yeah. So uh, I've, I've just held back and thought, let, let's wait and see. Fair so enough. that's that's exciting. A few weeks time, we'll give it a go. I can't think of the subtitle. It, it does have... Um, hidden Depths. Hidden Depths. There we go. So maybe it's underwater as well. That could be quite exciting. It's described as a non-combat, third-person, relaxploration adventure. Oh, that's a name. I mean, they're the things I liked about the first game. So let's <laughs> let's go for it. Let's go. Also, it's described as a shallow and tedious exploration game <laughs> by, by somebody else on Google. By, by many people. <laughs> by many, many people, I think. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear, to hear you know, what you make of this new one. And uh, yeah, the, the the idea of playing on something nice and big and shiny like the PS5, uh, yeah. certainly, a, certainly a draw. That's the plan. So we're ending with me this week, and I'm afraid my section isn't going to be very funny, <laughs> as obviously it always is. <laughs> you get laughs already. I am, as I like to frequently remind my wife. Very funny. <laughs> but this week I'm talking about the game This War of Mine. Yeah. Video games have the power to take us to many different places. Fantasy worlds, worlds in the distant past, or the far-flung future... And occasionally to other parts of our world to shine a light on different cultures, communities, environments, social structures or events. I had a a fantastic experience playing a game called Raji, an ancient epic last year. I think it was last year, maybe the year before, not sure. And uh, that was a game developed by an independent game studio in India, which used the ancient mythology from Indian culture to paint a brilliant fantasy action adventure story which simultaneously shone a light on an incredibly deep well of amazing stories that you don't often see pulled from in Western media. But with so many familiar elements from, you know, what we know of modern day Hinduism and from other cultures, myths and legends, it really highlights the the melting pot of global religion and, and how many shared elements there are between them when you, you know, examine them at their core. But this war of mine shows us a world that I, I have no touchstone for. In an industry like the video games industry, where fighting, guns, and especially warfare are monumentally glamorized, sensationalized, and capitalized into billion-dollar franchises, I cannot express how important it is for a game like This War of Mine to exist to show us what the real cost of conflict is. Not the cost of ammunition, uh, not the cost of expanding an army base, not the cost of a vintage World War II skin for your character, certainly not the cost of a novelty hat for your avatar to wear as you throw bigoted insults at your competitors' mothers. (laughs) This War of Mine shows you how war affects those left behind from the fighting, those trying to stay safe, stay sane and survive. The game will present different scenarios to you depending on how you want to play the game, but you will typically start with one or two people in a house. Your first port of call is trying to make sure that you have food and water. Make sure the entrances and exits to your shelter are protected from threats or the weather. You can use your time in the day to repair things in your house, clear debris and craft essentials, or simply just to rest and recover from what happens in the night. Because it's only under the cover of darkness that it's safe to go outside to see if you can scavenge resources to help you through to the next night. And when the sun sets, you'll be able to explore nearby towns, settlements and buildings and try and find anything that can be of use. It might be a firearm, it might be uh, some rations, it might be some materials that you can use to fashion a workbench or a new bed back at your stronghold. Or you might find a broken guitar that you can repair or a book to read to help boost morale in your company. There was an extraordinary moment 
when I was on one of my first raids that opened my eyes to what this game was really trying to tell me. I'm playing a video game, so I'm approaching it like I've approached other video games. When you go to a location to scavenge, you might be unlucky to run into some soldiers who you have to either sneak past or confront. Although confronting soldiers will almost certainly result in instant death. You can't crouch and wait for your health to recover. You can't superhumanly pull off a combo that nabs you three headshots and an XP bonus. This isn't a game. If a soldier sees you where you're not supposed to be, they'll kill you. But sometimes you'll find other people just trying to survive. They might have formed a small community. They might be a bit cagey towards you, trying to protect their own. They don't know if you're a friend or a foe. They don't know, you know, what you've done to survive so far, what you might be willing to do to survive another day. They don't know if you're a spy or a soldier or a civilian. You might find a couple of people just hunkering down and, and hoping that if they stay quiet, they might escape unseen. And it was a couple like this that I encountered on this raid. Just an old couple in a house trying to stay calm and safe. They were easy to sneak past. They were just sitting quietly in their living room and I could go through all their drawers, cupboards and fridges, take as much as I wanted. And I was, I was so glad that I hadn't filled up all my inventory slots with wood and nails because I'd found like enough food and water here to keep myself and the two people back at the house going for, for several, several days. And this was just like, a, it was a huge relief because resources are so scarce and it meant that I could focus my future scavenges on finding other resources to develop my homestead further. You know, why wouldn't I fill my pockets with everything that I could? You know, Skyrim style, <laughs> just taking as much as I could carry, filling up my inventory. But this isn't an item list. This isn't just a bunch of materials to make daggers and swords from. This is the food and water of two people trying to survive. And if I take it, they don't have it. And come the morning, I found out that my actions had resulted in the death of those two people. My character didn't know how to take this news. His morale fell to dangerous levels. I sent him to lie down, try and rest. He wasn't willing to eat. He didn't have the strength to do any work, to take his mind off things. I sent another of my group to, to talk to him, to try and support him. He didn't want to talk. I sat somebody next to him to play some music. He went to sleep. By the next morning, he'd taken his life. This devastated the rest of my party. They couldn't cope. They didn't make it. Actions have consequences. And the thing this game does so well is show that your specific actions, your specific choices have specific consequences. And I'm not going to use this as another opportunity to rag on The Last of Us, <laughs> but that is a game, you know, we've said that forces you to kill someone and then forces you to feel sad about it. This war of mine, those decisions are yours to make and how you feel about it afterwards is all the more powerful, knowing that you had the power to do or not to do it. This isn't a game. There is no crescendo to a final showdown or a big set piece to close the story. You don't know how long you need to survive for. Could be two weeks, could be 10, could be 20. You can't pace yourself. You can't always prepare for what's to come. I woke up one morning in the game to find that there'd been an earthquake which had collapsed a floor in my house. One person dead, one person injured, too much debris for one strong pair of hands to clear. All you can do is, is, is take each day and night as they come and try and make it to the next one. And if you keep doing that, one day, hopefully you wake up to the news that the conflict has ceased and you're still alive. But there isn't any fanfare. You don't have a celebration with everyone else who made it because the cost of human life vastly outweighs the reality of your individual situation. You will not make it through a campaign of this war of mine without understanding that in war, usually the cost of one person surviving is the loss of many, many other human lives. 
in the current climate, with the Ukraine-Russia conflict threatening to escalate at goodness knows what rate, the developers of this War of Mind have said that they're donating all their profits from the game to the Ukrainian Red Cross. By the time this episode comes out, that, that window's passed, but I would really urge you if you can, to find a charity to donate to if you want to support the Ukrainian people against a megalomaniacal tyrant. But also think of the Russians who oppose this. <laughs> they will also have people left behind, people trying to survive and hoping their family members come back to them or hoping that they can oppose the war without receiving a bullet to the head themselves for daring to oppose the power. I, I, I'm not qualified to take a stance on these things and to know the full breadth of the reasons behind warfare or invasion, national borders and history. But I'll always remember something that Andy Burnham said to me. Andy Burnham is the current mayor of Manchester. And I, I had the, the pleasure of interviewing him when he was in the running for Labour leadership. And one of the topics of conversation was nationalism. And he said that the problem with any nationalist party or nationalist views is by their nature, they will prioritise borders over people. And in the same way, you can see that Boris Johnson has prioritised the economy over people, over human lives in the COVID pandemic. Like, if your priority is not to help and save human lives, what are you doing? <laughs> like, the tagline of this war of mine is a simply defiant, fuck the war. Like, fuck all wars. Fuck conflict, fuck egos, fuck power, fuck money, fuck nationalism, fuck patriotism, fuck pride, fuck politics, fuck Putin, fuck dictators, Fuck the unkind, the selfish, the bigots, the arrogant and the ignorant. Fuck borders, fuck history, fuck fighting and fuck death. Have courage and be kind. That's all there is. This war of mine is one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in any medium. I'd encourage anyone who hasn't played it to buy it, play it. It's uh, going to go into my list around about number 30 and to make way almost as a point of principle... I'm getting rid of Counter-Strike. <laughs> what can you say to that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job. So, there we have it. <laughs> Those are our three amendments. Uh, first of all, we had... Super Auto Pets. And then we had... Submerged. And finally, we had This War of Mine. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and engage with us on ours. You can find us on everything at O3C Games. If those perks that I teased at the top of the episode uh, tickle your fancy, then uh, please do head over to patreon.com slash O3C Games. Have a look and see uh, what you can get for pledging a few pounds our way, and we greatly appreciate the support and, and welcome you into our inner circle. Or you can uh, reach out to us individually, if you like. I'm on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next time when we amend our lists even further. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. And now, a word from our sponsor. The Hardcore Gaming 101 podcast is on a mission to rank the top games of all time. I like the idea that when Bruce Wayne gets angry, he switches to the Batman voice. Why do you have such a problem making Boomerang shaped like a bat? You mean Jerk. like Batman? Not like Batman, just make it for me, Bruce Wayne. I can't even with this guy. It's a Herculean task, and I'd be lying if I said it hasn't taken a toll on our cognitive faculties. Most people would be happy to have a job during a global pandemic. <laughs> Dennis... Hardcore Gaming 101, twice a week, every week, right here on the HyperX Podcast Network. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair at the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. 
For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Coming soon to HyperX.com, HP.com, and more fine retailers, the HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless. Cloud Alpha Wireless gets up to 300 hours of battery life, so you'll spend less time charging your headset and more time charging into the action. The dual chamber drivers enhanced by premium DTS Headphone X spatial audio provide reduced distortion, allowing you to hear audio cues with pinpoint precision. Up to 300 hours of battery, two chambers, no wires, the new HyperX Cloud Alpha Wireless.